Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. So today, as you can see, we're moving on to looking at the Lord's Prayer, but how is that a challenge? This is the challenge I believe that we're called into. So we have a women's Bible study that meets here every second Thursday, and we're going through the book of Ephesians. You can do this with any part of the Bible, but we're looking at it and saying, what does this tell me about who God is? Now, you may be here and you might be brand new to this. You still might be working out if you believe God exists, or you might be here and you've been a Christian for a long time. And I would say that for the longer you've been a Christian, the more there can be a gap between what you think you believe and what you actually believe. So you can say, forgive us, Lord, as we forgive others. But do you think about that every time you're upset with someone and you go to say something to someone? There can be a gap. Or you can read in the scriptures that God is faithful. His faithful love, his mercies are new every morning and his love is faithful and true and he will never fail us or forsake us. And have you ever worried about anything? Because I have. And when I've worried, that means there is a gap between that, that truth of the nature of God and my belief. And I really, I really want to challenge myself with that and to help others if others are willing to be challenged with that. Because otherwise you can be fooling yourself. You can say, I am a follower of Jesus and I trust in him. But the truth is you don't always do that. And so this challenge is for us to be brave enough to look at the gap, to actually open the eyes of our heart, as it says in Ephesians 1, and have the gap revealed to us. Is what I say I believe what I actually believe? Do I really believe that God will never fail me or forsake me? Do I really believe he'll give me the power to love the unlovely? Do I really believe that he will strengthen me to have hope in all situations? Or do I not believe that? And if I do believe that and I want to live like that, what can I do? And the answer is you will need to pull in really closely to the power of the Holy Spirit within you to do that. You can't do it through a book. It's like when Jesus said to Peter, who do you say I am? And you can um, read this in the Gospels. Jesus says to Peter, when Peter is, is his um, disciple, who's been following him for a while and hasn't been sure who he is. And Peter says, well, some say you're this and some say you're this. And Jesus said, but who do you say I am? And he says, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Personal revelation. And Jesus says, you didn't learn this from a book or from other people. This was a revelation from God. And what God wants each one of you to have is not just uh, something I told you, not something you read, but something that it becomes, because when it comes personal revelation from God, it's a relationship. Otherwise, it's learning from a book. And so my prayer for each one of us is that if we're still relying on learning from a book or what the person next to you tells you, but you don't have that personal revelation that goes with you every moment of the day, there is something that happens when you are filled with the Holy Spirit and you have this relationship with him that is inexplicable. And if you think, I don't know what that's like, think another way. I don't know what it's like, so I'd love to discover it. Because sometimes we don't believe things because we haven't experienced things. But let's push in so that we actually see who God is. And I believe when Jesus taught the disciples, because they said, teach us to pray. And he used this as kind of a way that you can lead into prayer. If you say it off by heart, it's fine. But this is what the Holy Spirit will do with it. This is what the Holy Spirit did with me with this. 
when I was a, a little girl, I can't remember how old I was, I had this, well, my, actually my sister had this little book that was a Sunday school prize back in the day when you got Sunday school prizes. If anyone went to Sunday school, you got prizes and your prize was for turning up all the time. And um, we were there every Sunday, so we always got a prize, which I used to think was really unfair. But anyway, I got some good books. And one of them was the Lord's Prayer for Children. It was very, very simple. On one side it said, Our Father, and on the other side it had a little poem explaining what that meant. And my dad used to sit and pray with us every night, just not just, he used to pray prayers off by heart with us every night. And that's all I knew was prayer as a child. But then I got this little book and I would read it to myself and my sister. And then I would close it and I'd lie in bed and I'd think, and I would think for some reason, which I now know is the Holy Spirit, I wonder if I could take those lines and pray them more from my heart to God myself. How does a child learn that except from a revelation like Jesus said to Peter from the Holy Spirit? So I would lie in bed and start to unpack that prayer somehow myself and take each line and turn it into a conversation between me and God. No one ever taught me that. So I would say to you, the Holy Spirit is just waiting. If you will lie in bed or wherever you have time alone and say, teach me, Lord, open the eyes of my heart. He will do it for the youngest child and the oldest person and he will um, lead us into a beautiful relationship with him. I read this quote the other day. It says, it's one thing for the Bible to give good principles for life, spirituality, arguing our value or help us to be better parents, partners and citizens. It's one thing to say, this is a book about good principles. In fact, someone I know said to me once, Christians are an unusual group. They go, they gather every week to discover how to become better people. And when she said that, I thought, oh, is that, is that what we look like? We become better people. And, and this guy is saying, it's one thing to you know, try to be a better person. But he said, but what does it really mean? It's another thing to ask, what does it mean if it's really true that everything visible and invisible is held together by the word of his power. And what does it mean for me if there really is a God in whom I live and move and have my being? And what will change about my life if it's true that Jesus loves me because the Bible tells me so? So we don't just come to be nicer people. There's a lot of nice people in the world. We gather together to ask ourselves, what does it really mean if Jesus holds the world together by the power of his word. What does that really mean? Where do I fit into that? What does it mean if there's, there really is a God in whom I can live and move and have my being? And what does it really mean if he loves me? And it's much better than just being a nice person. It's, it's moving into a relationship with the Father. And so prayer is not just a list of requests. It's a relationship. And this is what Jesus was saying. Jesus didn't come to give a list of requests to his father. It was his father. And that itself is a whole new term. Henry Nguyen writes this, Our minds are always active. Do you ever have a moment where your mind is not thinking? It never stops, does it? There's no off button. And even when you sleep, it dreams. Our minds are always active. We analyse, reflect, daydream or dream. There is not a moment during the day or night when we are not thinking. You might say our thinking is unceasing. Sometimes we wish that we could stop thinking for a while. That would save us from many worries, guilt feelings and fears. Our ability to think is our greatest gift, but it is also the source of our greatest pain. Do we have to become victims of our unceasing thoughts? Because many of us are. And it leads us to do things to blot those thoughts out. 
No, we can convert our unceasing thinking into unceasing prayer by making our inner monologue into a continual dialogue with God, who is the source of all love. Let's break out of our isolation and realise that someone who dwells in the centre of our beings wants to listen with love to all that occupies and preoccupies our minds. He loves us. And it's when we say unceasing prayer, it doesn't mean unceasing requests. It means unceasing unpacking, processing, listening, being loved, being understood. How, how much we all long to have someone. Like I have a husband who listens almost unceasingly to me, unpacking. And I can see the glaze in his eyes sometimes where he's heard enough unpacking for today. And, um, but I have a Heavenly Father who um, has this ability never to glaze over. And you do too. And so today we're going to look at just the first four words. In fact, as I was going through these first four words, our Father in heaven, we could spend the next six weeks just on those two words, four words, sorry, just on those. But, you know, when Jesus was teaching his um, students, which is another word for his disciples, they're students, which is what we are, students. We're students of real life. And this is what you're learning this morning, how to be a student, you, a student of life, of full life. When Jesus was teaching his students, he gave them a few things that you don't do. And I just want to... There's a, quite a few, but I just want to, want to give you a little picture of what they, what they are because we can do this. He says, when you pray, do not keep babbling like pagans. Now, when you say pagans, it doesn't mean like the wicked, evil people. It's the people who don't have a relationship with God. Okay? They have other fake gods. Do not keep babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And he's establishing here there's a relationship here. So what, what that's actually saying is the people, the reason that they babble and the reason that we babble is because we keep thinking if we ask over and over and over and over again, we will annoy God enough or we'll find some formula to get what we want. And you can see the relationship here means you go up and God goes down because if you just be annoying enough or you look for a formula some way, it, it says in the message translation, it says it like this. And when you come before God, don't turn that into a theatrical production either. All these people making a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for 15 minutes of fame. Do you think God sits in a box seat? Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. Focus will shift from you to God and you'll begin to sense his grace. The world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is your father you are dealing with, and he knows better than you what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply like this, our Father in heaven. It's about a relationship, and it's a two-way relationship. And what happens when you move into this prayer, discovering who God is? I'm going to ask us today to move into it, discovering who God is. Not a formula for getting what you want, but a relationship of discovering who he is. Because what you really want, most of all, is to your soul to be filled with his unending love. That's what you really want out of everything. If you, if you took everything that you're actually asking for, what you really want is to be loved, to be secure, to know you have a hope, to know you have a future. 
to know you are protected, to know there is someone who is always there for you. That's what you really want. And so in doing this, you actually discover who you are. Now, there's a, a poem by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a theologian and um, an anti-Nazi fighter during World War II. And he ended up being imprisoned for trying to, uh, for being part of a plot to uh, assassinate Hitler. And two weeks before the end of World War II, he was put to death. And, but he did some incredibly powerful writing. He lived in America for a time. When he was in America, he felt convicted that he'd left his own country and he needed to go back to help his own people. And so he did. And this poem, you, it's, it's a deep poem, but I just want to read it because there's something profound in this that I think leads into understanding how we come to God. He said, I would step from my cell's confinement, calmly, cheerfully, firmly, like a squire from his country house. Who am I? This is the question he's asking, who am I? And here he is in the prison camp. They often tell me I would talk to my warders freely and friendly and clearly as though it were mine to command. That's what he looked like. Who am I? They also tell me I would bear the days of misfortune equably, smiling proudly like one accustomed to win. Am I then really all that, that which other men tell of? It's a good question for us. Who is he? Because you come here today and people see one aspect of you like they saw of him, calm, confident in this prison camp. Am I then really all that which other men tell of? Or am I only what I know of myself? Because each one of us sits here today and we know people know something about you from what they see, but there's something you know about yourself. There's a lot you know about yourself and only you knows it. Or am I only what I know of myself, restless and longing and sick, like a bird in a cage, struggling for breath as though hands were compressing my throat, yearning for colours, for flowers, for the voices of birds, thirsting for words of kindness, for neighbourliness, trembling with anger at despotism and petty humiliation, tossing in expectation of great events, powerlessly trembling for friends, at an infinite distance, weary and empty at praying, at thinking, at making, faint and ready to say farewell to it all. Who am I? This or the other? Am I one person today and tomorrow another? Am I both at once, a hypocrite before others, and before myself a contemptibly woebegone weakling? Or is something within me still like a beaten army, fleeing in disorder from a victory already achieved? Who am I? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. Whoever I am, thou knowest, O God, I am thine. And this, I want you to meditate on this one. If you try to work out who you are by what people see or what you know about yourself, you will go through exactly that. And then he comes to this conclusion. And think about this in your head, in your heart. Who you are on the outside and the inside does not define who you are. You belong to the Heavenly Father. You are his and there's an entirely different way of looking at yourself. You are his. You are bought with a price. You are loved unendingly by your heavenly father who sent his son in the world to give his life for you. You are his. That is your identity. Your identity is no longer what you look like or what you see of yourself. Throw it all out the window. Your identity is that you belong to this heavenly father and he loves you. That is your identity. You are his child. And if you reflect every day on the fact that you are his child as you come into prayer, it will change your life. You are his child. And when Jesus said, 
When they said to Jesus, teach us to pray, what a shock. You don't think it's a shock because you may know that prayer off by heart. But when Jesus says, he doesn't say to them, say, your father. It's To me it's like they come and sit beside him, kneel beside him saying, teach us to pray. And he puts his arm around, you must imagine you, it's Jesus, you and Jesus, okay, you and Jesus together. And he says, they say, teach, you say to Jesus, could you teach me to pray? And he puts his arm around your shoulder and he says, we say, our Father, you and him together, you and him together, you are brought into his family and he now becomes your brother. And what a big brother to have. How special to have that big brother. That's what you have. And you are brought into this beautiful relationship. I just want to explain what that relationship means because Jesus always prays to the Father. You don't see a lot of Father before Jesus comes. When Jesus comes, he always prays to the Father. So I always love to pray to the Father because he is my Father and that is the most precious relationship and it's through Jesus that I can come to this relationship with the Father. You have this Father and your identity, if you have given your life to Christ and it's an invitation he never forces it on you but he you give your life to him and that's your new identity is his child regardless of what you do and don't do regardless of what people say or don't say your regard you are his child and this is what it means to be his child firstly that you are adopted and adopted means specially chosen adopted means you have all the rights of of his of being his child and it says in John 1 12 but to all who believed him and accepted him he gave the right to become children of God and simply by believing and accepting it's not filling a list of rules jumping through hoops it's just you believe and you accept you believe and you accept and it says in Galatians 4 but when the right time came God sent his son born of a woman subject to the law God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. One of the very reasons that Jesus came to the world, to the earth, was to adopt you. Way before you were born, way before anyone had thought about you, way before anyone had thought about your parents or your grandparents, God planned that he would send his son into the world. It was his plan. It was his plan before time began that he would make a plan to adopt you, personally you, because he loves you and you've been adopted into his family. Of all the things that we go on about, about laws and rules and everything, come back to this. You've been adopted. You are his son or his daughter in his family. And secondly, you are his heirs. It says in Romans 8, 17, and since we are his children, we are his, his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. I encourage you, when you say our Father, meditate on that. You're not just his child, so you're his heirs. See, I have children and uh, Graham and I have children and when we die, they will receive everything that we have and uh, we actually think about how we can make, it, make sure it's good for them so that they, we know that they will receive something when we're not here because we love them. We want them to have something good. And likewise, and magnified a billion times over, your Heavenly Father wants to inherit everything he has. His kingdom, his power, his glory, he wants you to inherit it. We are heirs of God's glory, which is his magnitude, his, his magnificent beauty and power. And more than your brain can ever get, it's, it wraps its mind, more than your mind can ever wrap around in this world 
Is this what you receive in him? We come to him thinking often as if he will do things for us, but he's saying, I'm inviting you into my world. Come into my world, live in my world, and you can live in his world in this world. Sometimes the way I picture it like this is like this. That, um, imagine there's a storm cloud, but if you've ever flown in a plane, you can go up above the storm clouds, and up there is bright sun and no clouds, and there's clouds underneath you. And I believe that living in his kingdom here is like that, that you're still in this world, but you're flying above the storm clouds rather than living underneath them. And in the end, what are storm clouds? They're just vapour in the sky making a big noise. And sometimes our lives is like that. The vapour in the sky making a big noise rumbles, and that's Satan who is the, uh, the, the deceiver, the one who only lies, tries to tell you that trouble is brewing. But just beyond those clouds, there is a bright sun shining. And when you come into his kingdom as his son and he's there, you can actually, as you spend time in his presence, rise above those clouds. And you realise there's a bright sun here and those, sun, those clouds will part. And life will look sunny again, even down there. And we have his Holy Spirit. You see, not only do we, can we talk to him, he actually dwells within us. So everywhere you go, you can have his Holy Spirit within you. And his Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. So whatever you think of who the Holy Spirit is, the Holy Spirit is the very person of God filling you and is not just a power that you call on when you need to pray for someone. The Holy Spirit is the ever-living presence of life within you. It is, the Holy Spirit is life. It's not just a power, it is life, and that life produces a power. And so when you come and say, Our Father, He actually dwells within you in His, in his character and His nature and His power and His beauty and His glory, and He helps us in our weaknesses. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And you can actually, when you pray, if you don't know how to pray for something, you can say, Holy Spirit, how can I pray? And you'll find immediately something will come into your heart and mind as to how to pray. In fact, one of the women was saying that in our, our Bible study group last Thursday night, that she took her child to school and there was a situation he was about to face and she said, I don't even know how to pray. And she felt mad, but then she said, Holy Spirit, how do I pray? And immediately she knew how to pray. Immediately she started crying because God gave her incredible love for a situation that she thought was difficult. The Holy Spirit is there waiting because your Father loves you. He's so close to you. But then let's spin it around a little bit because this language that Jesus gives us when he puts his arm around you and he says, let's pray, our Father, you and me together in this, because you do read in Romans 8 as well that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, always interceding for you on your behalf. So you come to him, you come to the Father with him. Just imagine he's bringing you always into the presence of the Father. And the language that he's teaching us is family language. You can be very used to just saying our Father. It's family language. And so we've looked at the things that we get. We're adopted. We're heirs. We have his spirit. But then there's another part because this is a two-way relationship. Because he's our Father, we honour him. He's actually one of the Ten Commandments to honour your parents. And we have our Heavenly Father. And so as you come to pray all the time, not just when you take time out to pray, but when you're talking to him all the time, we honour him. We ask ourselves, do I honour my father for all he's given me? Do I live a life that the family name would look well because of me? 
One of the women who died from eating the, the poisonous mushrooms in Victoria is reading on a news thing that someone from the community said she lived a truly Christian life because she embraced all people and loved all people and was always curious to understand more about people. That's how someone described her. How beautiful. Uh, to me it says she honoured her father. And uh, what would people say about us? Do we live a life that actually reflects that the kindness of God that you have received is that reflected in your life? We honour our father. The Apostle Paul writes this in his letter to the Ephesians, For this reason I fall on my knees before the Father, from whom, from whom every family in heaven and earth receives its true name. Your identity comes from that Father. Of all the identities you have, your identity comes from that Father. And he falls on his knees before him. And you and I can fall on our knees um, metaphorically as well as physically before him. In everything that we do, we come humbly before him. And because it's a family, we love our brothers and sisters. It says in 1 John 3, Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. We love, and when your heart condemns you at the end of this prayer, Jesus says, if you don't forgive, neither can your Father in heaven forgive you, which is for another day, that one. But, but just to consider this, when you come before the Father, if your heart condemns you, it's either because there's something that you've done that you need to have dealt with, or there's something that you blame yourself for and you condemn yourself. And Neither will allow you to walk confidently into the presence of your Father because he's wiped away all your sin, all your shame. Everything has gone. And so when you come, it's not that he's judging you because of that. It's when you come, it, makes, it creates a barrier. You hold back because you come in with a sense of shame as to who you are because you're not living in honour of him by the way you love others or you still blame yourself. If I'd, only never, if I'd never made that choice, it was so stupid and I even knew God didn't want me to do that. And you blame yourself and then your heart is condemning you. You have to look at his love for you and realise that Jesus has washed all that away. Your silly mistakes, your bad mistakes, your unwise choices and he's forgiven you and you offer the same to others and then you are free and you come totally into his presence and you're free to love others. So we pray to our Father. Isn't it extraordinary that we have a Father to pray for, to like this? But then we pray to this Father who is in heaven and we have some strange notions of heaven and we actually need to get a, a better picture of heaven. How do you get a better picture of heaven in this world when you haven't been to heaven? If you've had someone close to you die, you've probably spent a lot more time thinking about heaven like I have to try to imagine what it's like. I have this thing where I love to be able to picture where people I love are so I really like it when my kids are away that they send photos and I can picture oh it looks like that that's really nice but because I have one who lives in heaven I would love some photos and I haven't got photos but I love to read books about heaven to picture where he actually is and and sometimes we think of it as far far away we have this idea but J.I. Packer in his book about praying the Lord's Prayer writes this God since God is spirit, heaven here cannot signify a place that is remote from us that he inhabits. The Greek gods were thought of as spending most of their time away from earth in the celestial equivalent of the Bahamas. But the God of the Bible is not like this. Granted, the heaven where saints and angels dwell has to be thought of as a sort of locality because saints and angels as God's creatures exist in space and time. But when the creator is said to be in heaven, the thought is that he exists on a different plane. 
from us rather than a different place. That God in heaven is always near to his children on earth is something that the Bible takes for granted throughout. It's a different plane. It's a heartbeat away, literally. A heartbeat away. It's present. It's very, very present. It's not way up there because we always think it, we can't see it so it can't be here. It's very, very present. In fact, scriptures would tell us that there are angels around us right now. You just can't see them. Just because you can't see them doesn't mean they aren't there. Heaven is incredibly present and heaven is also present in your heart when, the, when God dwells in you, in your spirit. And so when we pray, you can think of God in a couple of ways as your father, but I encourage you a couple of things that J.I. Packer writes to let your mind swing like a pendulum from this to this. Think of his greatness, the infinite and eternal creator who dwells in unapproachable light, this incredible God. You've probably heard about Voyager 2, which was set off from the earth in 1977 and is currently still, like 46 years ago, still heading out somewhere in space that has lost it temporarily and they're hoping to find it. There's no end out there, okay? 46 years and it's still going. The God who created all of that, you cannot wrap your mind around that. This God, and yet you get to call him Father. What better Father would you want? Think of the magnitude of God and that you can call him Father. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. We should be falling before our knees. You can read in 2 Chronicles 6.18, but will God really live on earth among people? Why even the highest heavens cannot contain you? How much less this temple I have built. But then you can dwell on this fact, that there is no better father, no parent more committed to his children's welfare or more wise and generous in promoting it, promoting your welfare than God the creator. Think of his nature as father and that he is in heaven and that he is free from all the limitations, inadequacies and flaws that we find in earthly parents. And so today, the challenge is, will you take God at his word and believe that he's your father? And will you allow yourself to look at the gap between you feeling secure and loved and empowered by your father? And will you look at the gap between your understanding and the way that you honour him and the way you listen to him? And will you come into his presence in awe and wonder, in humility, but also in confidence, knowing that this amazing God who created the entire world and holds, its all, hold, holds the whole world in his hands invites you into his presence and will listen to you 24-7 if you can see him as this father. I'll just close our eyes and just meditate on that just for a moment. I just, I just sense that as we sit here today, there's some here, maybe one person here who's longed for a father relationship. And maybe being upset with God that you haven't had an earthly father relationship, but God is saying to you, come to me, I'm your father. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that there are people today who need the embrace of that father, that unconditional love. 
and some who need the courage to walk into his presence to get rid of the sin and the shame and you can just bring that to him anything that blocks you and this loving heavenly father maybe you're even angry with him and if he gives you for that too he understands all of that maybe you thought you didn't even like him and he understands that as well and he's saying come to me I'm your father I pray for each of us that the eyes of our hearts will be enlightened that we may see him and may he be to you today everything that your heart is longing for and may you be to him today everything that he has created you to be in Jesus name Amen Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast if you enjoyed it either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.